I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. I hope everybody had a wonderful 4th of July. I am uh, back from that. It was great to have a couple days off. Uh, we will jump right back in this week. I am, uh, I'm going to be going down to a couple days of the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach. It's an event I'm super excited to, uh, to cover. It's obviously a historic event with the women playing for the first time at Pebble Beach. I think that this is a momentous occasion for for women's golf. I, you know, having having the women play a golf course that everybody knows, you know, basically hole by hole. I don't think there are many golf courses that you know viewers understand and 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 know by heart. I think Pebble Beach, uh, TPC Sawgrass is one that has gotten to that level, and then Augusta National and. You know, in the in the near term, I do not foresee any women's events, uh, professional events going to those courses. Just look what a course and a venue can do for an event is pretty extraordinary. Just look at the uh, Augusta Women's National Amateur Um, that has become one of the more popular women's events in the calendar, despite no history. But, you know, the the golf course, Augusta National, watching golf at Augusta National. Is something that people are super interested in, and uh, the uh, there are a lot of talented young women golfers. I think that's uh, one of the things that stands out to me. Listen, I don't cover women's golf with a, f- a fine tooth comb um, week in week out, but I do pay attention, and and I think right now with the emergence of Rose uh, and um, many other players, there the women's game has so much young talent it's so exciting and for them to get to go out and play pebble beach this week is uh long overdue and and frankly it's it's awesome it's going to be i think it's going to elevate the women's game which deserves to be elevated i think there there's no reason that it cannot be as popular um and close you know have a you know a fan base that's that's as close to the male fan base like men's and women's tennis where you know they have these tournaments that that the women's finals as big of a deal as the men's final that's where golf needs to get to where the women's US Open is as big of a deal as the men's US Open and and getting a venue like Pebble Beach they've got some amazing venues lined up uh, the this is going to be a big deal, and obviously with it on prime time, on the East Coast on on Saturday and Sunday, you know finishing up at nine nine p.m. Eastern. This is awesome. It's just a time of the year when there isn't much on TV, and I think this is going to really capitalize and uh, hopefully bring some new viewers in to the women's uh women's golf game because uh it it'll be uh it'll be fun to watch. So, hopefully we get some sun on the weekend and we get Pebble Beach shining and uh a great leaderboard. But I had Joseph Lamagna on today. Uh he 
obviously writes a newsletter, Finding the Edge. He writes for the Fried Egg uh, pretty regularly and in Club TFE pretty regularly. Uh, he came on uh, to just talk about uh, what he's looking for forward to at Pebble and the Women's Open, as well as the uh, as what's been going on on the PGA Tour. So it was kind of a catch-up. We haven't talked in a while, and uh, this was, it was just... Good to catch up with Joseph and uh, and hear his thoughts on, on what's been going on in golf. So without further ado, here's Joseph Lamania, and uh, we'll be back next week with uh, probably a full debrief on the women's event and some other guests. So looking forward to uh, a full week of work next week after this. Uh, what a weird week for, you know, with a holiday on a Tuesday. It ends up breaking up the week in such a weird way. So Look forward to next week and uh, really looking forward to the Women's Open. I hope everybody carves out some time to watch. So here's Joseph Lamagna. Joseph, how are you? How was your fourth? I'm good, Andy. Um, kind of in the middle of wedding season. So oh. uh, yeah, mid 20s. <laughs> yeah. This age and this time of the year, it's, it's a lot of travel. So I've uh, been. Dealing with some of that, I guess, between the PGA Tour and my own personal life, a lot of uh, new partnerships to to think about. So it's nice to see love blooming in different forms. It gets it gets daunting. I feel like you're on the on the early part of your your wedding swing now. You know, I've got a couple this year, um, which I haven't had any in a while. You know, it's it's you you eventually phase out of it. But I remember one year we had we had three destination we had three out of town weddings in a month, and I just remember looking at my credit card bill after that, and I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's uh, it can it can get expensive. Yeah, I think one one thing I've been fortunate with, I guess, and I don't know if this was intentional, but a lot of my friends have not been getting married during designated events, and I'm oh, wondering look at if. That. I'm wondering if they factored that in or if the, maybe if the PGA Tour <laughs> purposefully scheduled a lot of non-designated events during the summer wedding season. It's something I hadn't given them enough credit for. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't think that having seen the talking points that they prepared for Tiger Woods now, I, uh, I've i got less, um, I guess, trust or optimism in, in any sort of... Um, you know, big scale planning from from the uh, the PGA Tour. So, hey, uh, it's U.S. Women's Open Week at Pebble, and I thought it'd be fun to chat a little bit about that at the beginning of this podcast. I I, I want to cover it at a pretty high level, um, just because. Listen, by the time uh, a lot of people listen to this, it will be going. So, this is not a preview episode. I think this is more of a. Uh, you know what are we what are we looking to watch for at Pebble this weekend on on a high on a big scale thing? So I think one of the things that I I wanted to pose to you, we me and you we think about golf courses a little bit differently, um, and I think that's good, and it could lead to some interesting debate. But I don't find Pebble to be the most exciting men's golf course. Um, I, you know I don't. I think it's an amazing golf course to watch because of the scenery. I don't, and I think it's a good golf course, but I don't find it to be the most compelling men's venue. And I'm wondering, is it, is it just too, 
is it scaled incorrectly for the men's game? And will that be solved with the women's game? Will it just be scaled the right way? Will holes play more the way they should play? And will Pebble deliver be a phenomenal women's venue? Yeah, I'm pumped to talk about Pebble with you because uh, I have a bunch of notes and, and some things I wanted to pick your brain on about Pebble along those lines. Like, I think Pebble's, it's not my favorite golf course to watch professional men's golf. I almost dread it some years because this, a lot of the shots I just don't find to be the most compelling. And on top of that, I don't find the greens to be compelling. And and that they're very tiny. I don't know tiny, if you've heard. They're tiny and they don't, they're not always the most challenging, um, especially to get up and down in a lot of locations. But I think the shot value is going to be much higher for the women. And that's one of my, that's one of the reasons I'm most excited to watch the women's open. I think shots like the approach into eight, uh, hole six, it's going to be fascinating to watch the women navigate those shots and they just don't play as well for the men, even a hole like two. I mean, pretty much every hole out there scales much better for the women. So I still have concerns about how the it'll play on and around the greens, but I'm really excited to watch some of these approach shots from the, from the women. The second hole is one I think that will be so drastically different because that bunker with with the women. So the second hole is a great, you know, it's a par four in, in U.S. Opens and it's a short par five in, in the in the pro-am for men. Um, for the women, they have there's this great cross bunker, the Sahara cross bunker. That's really like a, you know, if you hit the fairway and, and there's no thought to it. I think it's going to be a real heroic carry for the women yeah i'm not as familiar with all of the the women's yardages so i can't speak exactly to oh like this is they're gonna go for it here they're not gonna go for it there but it does just scale much better and something i've been playing around with a little bit would be interested in your thoughts on this like a lot of the farther you hit the ball the the wider of corridors you need and the bigger greens need to be to accommodate those shots right and so i think part of the story of professional golf men's golf has been that a lot of these courses that were built a long time ago that you've just extended backwards you've just lengthened it doesn't make them necessarily play up to the same quality because the width of the corridors doesn't accommodate it by just moving it back and so i think for the women that they don't hit it as far the dimensions of pebble beach just work much better and it's not as compelling to watch it for the men, but does does that make sense? Is that a reasonable way to think about it? I I do. I I like, and I think that's something that I appreciated so much about LACC was it felt like it was actually golf at an appropriate scale for how big these, how long these guys hit it. And I think the women, you know, this is something I've thought a lot about, and it is like, what would be the ideal women's uh, design? be for like championship golf and i've gone kind of multiple directions with it like in how i've thought about it i think the natural instinct is to say narrower is better for women's golf um but there's so much more um accurate off the tee that i wonder if wider is with distinct differences in angles right where you could really set up differently right you could play out to the left and be very safe but if you play to the right and you play close to something then you get a, a very distinct advantage and you make it wider 
knowing that it then creates these avenues and different ways that they can play. Right. I don't know what the answer is, I think. But I think Pebble is an interesting test case for the smaller, the smaller ballpark idea. Right. I think that if you if you went out like we'll see it, I think that's one of the really interesting and exciting things about the women's um, lineup of golf courses that they're playing. I think we'll see it at Aaron Hills in two years, the opposite, where there's a lot of space and some of that strategic angles are set up. But with Pebble, with how precise these women are, I think it's going to be a really fun test. And, and it's going to be the first time we really see Pebble scaled appropriately in, a, in my lifetime, at least, really, since like, I mean, Tiger kind of was the one that that pushed it to this point where it is now. Few things there. You mentioned, I don't know if it's narrower or wider is the ideal setup. Like one thing I will always say is we we can't just focus on the width of the fairway. It's also about what what is off of the fairway, right? Like is it mm-hmm. is it just rough? Is there some kind of hazard that's 15 yards into the rough? Like the gradients of the penalty is really important. That's a great example of this is the Ryder Cup in Paris where specifically they moved the fans back as far as possible so that if you missed by a little bit the rough wasn't that bad if you missed by a lot you weren't in a trampled down area and so i think always thinking about what is a narrow miss versus a wide miss how does that play i think that's an important concept and with pebble i think some things like hole six right looks like the mowing line there might be a little bit offensive for the women's open this week but the closer you play to the water not only do you have a flatter lie, but play, you also the closer you play to the water, you're in rough. Right. Unfortunately, that that is the case with the way they've put the mowing. So lines, strategic. But... That's strategic golf design, right? Is you play close to the ocean cliff, and and you're in rough. That that aside, something that that hole also has going for it is the the farther right you play off the tee, the shorter your approach shot is in, and I think that's another interesting angle and a unique way of challenging players and rewarding accuracy is not just giving a flatter lie, but also shortening the hole. So uh, really excited to see that hole played this week, even if it isn't reaching its full potential due to some uh, architectural decisions made by the USGA. Well, yeah, that Mo line, I, I think the resort wants to keep it too, which is insane because the, the whole premise, like the ball runs to the right. You're terrified of right. There's something, there's a psychological factor to hitting a ball into the ocean that weighs more than a pond or a creek. Like if it was a creek or a pond. But yeah, I think like it's an interesting way to think about strategic design for all levels of pro golf, right? Is do you do the design? And I think one of the things with six that adds, you have a shorter, shorter approach, flatter lie. The other thing you have is you have contours that help, right? The, the contours then push it that way because the ground kind of goes right to left. So your ball gets corralled going into the green. So you get all this onslaught of, of things helping. I think what's what I, I think sometimes a lot about is, does if I play like there are there are counterintuitive holes, which I like. I like the variety, but are the best holes, especially when we start to talk about men's golf, like are the best holes going to be ones where we have like a very advantage? Do we 
is the best type of design now to make one side super, super advantaged, where it's all of the confluence of things. Shorter approach, uh, flatter lie, better angle. Is that the way to do it, to really emphasize angles? Or does it still not matter, right? Because I think there's all these levels of gray. And you see you see data of like, oh, like if you're at this the better angle, like you can't color and and paint by numbers, right? You need to look at each hole and each hole is going to be different based off of where a flag is and the contours in the green and how they interact with the angles. Because there are sometimes there are cool holes, like and I like a lot of holes where you could play near the hazard and shorten your approach, but your angle is a little bit worse than if you play long and you take the longer route, right? You, there are different ways to create strategies and, and every, every hole shouldn't have the similar strategy, right? Necessarily, but in men's golf, particularly, and maybe women's too, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't, watch enough women's golf to really know and i haven't studied like they don't be they don't have the data this week right. that we'll have data they don't have the data to study it but like if if we if we create strategic holes where there's a overwhelming advantage does that make a big difference in how guys would play the golf hole so here's my immediate reaction to that as somebody who looked at this literally every day it's the story of golf and analytics isn't that angles just don't matter at all. It's more that they your your expected value or however you want to phrase it is so much more dictated by your lie and your distance to the hole that it's not worth taking on a lot of angles even if they are advantageous. And I I think the way that you counter this is you have extremely wide fairways where certain sides are advantaged. And if you hit it, if you get off, the ball keeps rolling like away from the advantage side. So an example of this would be hole five at Augusta. I think it's a brilliant example where you go down the left side, you challenge extremely penal bunkers, you shorten the hole significantly, you bail way out right, the ball keeps rolling, right? I mean, if it's firm, but you're also having a, a lengthy you're getting further into, away and the angle it's impossible from there it's really difficult to to get your ball on the proper level of that green so that's an example where it's not a contrived setup it's wide and it's incredibly demanding it requires a lot of space but that's why i think all of the best professional golf setups are generally wide like an augusta or like an lacc so uh, i'm with you on there needs to be an advantage to one side or the other but if it's narrow if the fairway's 30 yards wide it's not going to entice players to try to favor one side or the other. That's not the way they're going to approach that. And, that, and I think that's the thing. Like, I think the natural reaction with women's design, like if you were thinking about women's design is to make it narrow, but I think their game their because of their precision, I think it all of a sudden then because they, you know, where men have such a wide dispersion cone and theirs becomes so much smaller where you could really see strategic golf play out um, at the right venues. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't love Aaron Hills, but I think there are a lot of really, there will be a lot of really fascinating holes to watch at Aaron Hills, maybe more fascinating hill or holes than at Pebble because Pebble is so it's going, I like, I can't believe this is the case with Pebble, but like, 
it's really an execution test because there's not there's there should be enough space to move the ball around and 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 play differently but there isn't because of the way it's set up it becomes an execution test of how you handle all the elements it's it's a very good execution test because of the the wind the changing lies the unlevel targets where you're playing up and down from these different lies it's a great execution test but that's what it is it's like it is a strict execution test because there's just frankly the way they set it up and not not enough space to maneuver into different areas right but if you had it if like for example the 6 fairway was wide i think these women are are precise enough where they might say, I'm going to aim down, you know, I think men aim down the left. They just, they say, if it goes in the bunker, fine. If it goes left of the bunker, fine. And if I miss it a little right, it's great. You know, I think that's the way they approach the six. Especially because they have less club in. Yes. I think the women have enough control over their golf ball where they could say, I'm aiming down the left center of the fairway. I'm not aiming at the bunker, right? And I'm aiming down the left center of the fairway or maybe even the center of the fairway because I want to get over to the right side. And I think that's the difference in in where I I get, you know, we shouldn't think of golf's course set up the same way for women and men at this point because they play completely different games. And I think like golf course setup is probably the area of golf that has the most room to grow. Um, And I thought I thought that USJ did an amazing job at LACC, but I am pretty disappointed with what, what I saw at Pebble uh, a, a month ago in the lead up because it, it became, you know, what you, the women's game allows for, I think allows for real strategy to start to play out. Yeah. And, and one thing, this isn't exactly addressing what the point you just made, but one thing I always think about with Pebble beach, I'm curious if you've ever thought about this, but Generally, for the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, the rough is cut very short, so that's beneficial for the AMs. But I think another thing that it does, the whole it's a short golf course for the men. And when you have a shot from the rough, especially light rough, it takes a little bit of spin off of the ball, which is often kind of advantageous in a windy environment. So if you yes. think about the difference between having a uh, you know 105 yard shot from the fairway versus from the uh, an easy lie in the rough, it's not significantly different at Pebble Beach, and so that in and of itself that lends it to accuracy not being rewarded, and it's not. I mean, you get a bunch of sprayers. Phil Mickelson's done very well at Pebble Beach. That's part of why. Versus if you're in the fairway, you need to flight it. And somebody like Jordan Spieth, who's good at that, can get himself an advantage. But this this dynamic of a short course where often from the rough, you're taking off spin and there's a lot of wind, it kind of plays into accuracy just not being as important. But for the women, it's not as much of a driver wedge contest. So that dynamic, it's a little bit more important to have some spin with your long irons. So it just plays better. And that's one thing I've been thinking about coming into this week and why I'm excited to watch it is that even if the rough weren't as long as they're making it, it would still be more penal because of that, that dynamic wouldn't be as much at play as it is for the men. Do you have any reaction to that? Is that something you've thought yeah. about on the men's side? I mean, honestly, you just think about it, like a lot of times when you're playing in a heavier wind, 
and your ball ends up in, say, say it's a golf course with a, a short rough cut. If you end up in that short rough, you're kind of like, this is great. I got yep. a flyer. The wind's coming in. It's probably going to play about the about the number because they're going to cancel each other out. And it's awesome, you know, because you're not having to hit a shot because you know it's going to launch high with no spin and not really get hammered by the wind if you launch it high with spin. Um, so I agree with that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that's it's an interesting um, observation. And I think that's like where really like the long rough also like isn't as necessary when you have longer clubs in because exactly. it's already, uh, you know, like longer clubs and slower swing speed. Thick rough is de- is really a debilitating thing to be in. And I, that's one thing I hope we avoid. I'll, I'll be on the grounds tomorrow. I, I unfortunately couldn't get down uh, beforehand uh, just with the holiday weekend. But like the uh, if the rough's really thick and they have longer clubs in, we could end up with like one of the things you want, you want, especially at Pebble Beach, is you want people to try and hit recovery shots. Um, and if we lose that because of the thick rough and longer clubs, then again, that's another thing that would limit the interest in this golf course oh totally totally i mean i i think one of the beautiful things about lacc and augusta is that when you got a little bit offline you're trying to hit a clever recovery shot and thick rough setups just don't lend themselves to that sometimes they i mean they're they're pretty good at exacting a stiff penalty but even when, when greens are this small you have to think about that too and there's not much strategy that could change Correct. And high, high levels of wind with small greens, like you can often hit some really good shots that end up in the rough. Like the winner this week is going to be chipping a lot. That, that's just almost a given. And I think you'll often see in a setup like that, some long shots make their way in. So I, I wouldn't use this week necessarily to evaluate Rose Zhang and, and her major championship future like this you might get some long shots in the mix here and if you look at the uh u.s open in 2019 on the men's side that's not a leaderboard that looks like most major championships of the last five years there's some big what names up there Chess revy chess and hadley Scream- screams screams major champion i mean gary woodland's not a stalwart in in top tens in major championships either and, and that's that's part of the setup the really small greens the wind uh, it's it's a factor. It's not bad. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's it's a different test than an Augusta. Yeah, and I think like the greens are always going to be small there, but they all should be bigger. A great a great example is if you look at like an overhead. If you just go on Google Google Earth and look at the tenth hole, and you look at that uh, overhead on on Google Earth, that green is so clear when you stand on it. It should be going to the bunker. <laughs> They didn't design it to have this like six yards of rough there. And that green would almost double in size. And guess what? It would be a far, far like that's one. That's one of my favorite holes on the golf course. And it's a great hole in its current state. But it would be so much better if they just got the green out to where it should be, because it would add some some more thought, especially when the pins get over to the right on how you want to approach the green. And where you are trying to land the ball, how you can bounce it in, and because there's so much slope right there, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful hole, and so many shots. You know, it's like what you're saying on the tenth hole. It's a super, super exposed place on the property. 
It's a tiny green. You can hit a great shot and end up in that rough, but if it was green, you're going to get more rewarded for a great shot that that you know ends up you know five yards offline. Yeah, and and look, I don't think expanding every green by three feet around like would have a significant impact. I agree, it'd be better, but that's for me where the appeal of Pebble Beach that, is. The that scenery. one's a lot. That's like fifteen feet. Sure, sure. Broader point. I think all of the best setups in professional golf massive greens a lot of slope where if you hit a bad shot it's it's far away from the hole and you now have a difficult chip shot that's not what pebble beach is doesn't mean i don't appreciate it the views are unbelievable some of the shots are really cool but it's not my favorite test of professional golf it what it has going for it is history views some conditions that that's kind of where i land on pebble it's it's funny i've been kind of thinking a little bit about the open and this is ahead of it but the open's been the tournament where it's like we just pray for weather right and i think pebble is kind of in this in the same vein and people oh yeah people people like forget and you know i found it humorous while while lacc was getting trashed for you know what was happening without a wind it's like did we forget about pebble with no wind you know a couple years ago and it's like that golf course is so the interest is so dependent on wind. I think like, you know, that's what makes the golf course so compelling is when, when the wind's up, when you have to hit shots on the, like the seventh hole is a really pretty boring hole to watch when it's calm. It's just a little wedge and they flip it down there and they hit it close a lot. If it's calm, if it's windy, that hole is impossible. You know, it becomes maybe the hardest shot on the golf course and the wind. And, uh, and, and so this, this golf course is super, super dependent on weather, uh, for its interests. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Do you have any thoughts on, uh, you, you're going to watch a lot. Are there, what are you, any players that you're in particular want to watch uh, a lot of this week? I mean, clearly interested in how Rosang plays. Like I, I don't watch the story of, of the year. Yeah. It's, it's truly like, getting me to to look at exact when is she teeing off and like i have been more engaged by the rosang story than any story on, in the women's golf in a while so it's really cool to see I'm, I'm pumped to watch her play i think though the main thing i'll be looking for since i am translating some of these concepts from the men's side is are there some long shots who get into the mix who have really crafty short games who maybe grew up in an area where they had to flight the ball and are comfortable playing in wind. And you see somebody who you don't often see in contention at a major championship trying to win at Pebble. That's probably the main thing I'm looking for. So Rosang and, and maybe some long shots who are comfortable in these conditions and can chip. Um, I think, uh, you know, who's a great, who's got a great short game, Rosang. It's probably why she's got the Pebble Beach uh, competitive scoring, women's competitive scoring record. It'd be interesting it's to also, see if that holds. I don't, there's probably not data on this, but she's a relative, relatively strong favorite coming in. And I wonder, this is her second major appearance, Andy? As a pro. Okay. How many, do you know how many majors she has total? Uh, it's got to be close to like six or so, okay, I would okay. guess. But I would think this is historically early in a woman's career for her to be a pretty strong favorite in a major. And that's a pretty cool story in and of itself. She's played nine major championships. 
And well, then she's maybe, made maybe not seven cuts. The crazy thing is only one top ten. I think this is one of the the reasons I I love I I think Rose Zhang is an amazing person on top of player, but it's it's wild to me that that like how much of the phenom talk has been you know when it's like Lexi Thompson was playing in these when she was what thirteen um you know it's it's Nelly you know there. Are, some of her other counterparts, like Thidicule, has been number one in the world at the same age. Um, you know, I'm excited. I'm all all for... I want Rose Zhang to be a superstar. But I think, like, one of the things I don't want is is for her to be a disappointment if she's, like, the eighth best player in the world. Because there is, like, a ton of talent in women's golf right now and young talent. Um, so... You know, I think that's like one thing that I've I've thought of is like Lexi Thompson, who's 28. Michael Wolf tweeted this today. She's playing her 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 17th U.S. Open at age 28. Rose Zhang is is 19 and she's playing, I think, like her her third U.S. Open, maybe. Uh, So it's kind of that to me is is nuts. It's it's her third U.S. Open this year. Also, another thing with Rose Zhang and I'm again Super excited to watch her. Seems like she has all the makings of being a very talented player. I'm a little skeptical of some of the course management. And I know, like, she's, it, it, there's already been a little, I know there was something that happened at the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur that there was some course management discussion going back and forth. I think saw it also in her first professional win. Seems a little shaky sometimes. And like, she's, she, maybe doesn't have that quite figured out. And I think that will be a compelling storyline as her career unfolds. Like, does she figure that out? Because I, I'm a little skeptical about some of the decision-making. I imagine for, for women's golf, it's harder with the strategy stuff because there's less data, right? I think, I think so, but the concept should translate pretty closely. And do you think the strategy is the same? No, I don't think it's the same, but I think it's very close. Like a short par four, laying up to a wedge when you could have hit driver often I'm, I'm very confident that they don't hit driver enough like I, without having seen the data I'm, I'm still very confident in that and i would be it looks to me like rosang may be over conservative and that's something that I, i'm interested to see that storyline unfold and it, i could be wrong about that but i think she's overly conservative all right let's uh let's talk about men's golf i you know i think there's a the course in in Rose Zhang are probably the two biggest stories of this year's uh, U.S. Women's Open. I personally, I'm kind of interested in in the other two things quickly. Uh, we don't need to have a discussion about it. I'm interested in Lydia Ko's uh, downturn. Um, obviously, I think you want to talk about phenoms. And I, I think this golf course probably fits her pretty well just because of her all-around talent. Um but then also Nelly Corda with uh, she came she came off an injury at the PGA Women's PGA. But, you know, she's the biggest American star and, you know, in golf. And obviously we saw her in 2019 have like a, just an incredible year, 2020, uh, incredible year. And uh, since then, she's had like just some bad luck. So would love to see her kind of back in the mix uh, because I think she is a uh, a big um kind of uh game changer in terms of if she's in contention
Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Echo. Echo, uh, thanks to Echo, I don't have to worry about my feet on the golf course anymore. They keep me dry, and most importantly, they keep me super comfortable. I think that's the thing that I've uh, always loved about Echo golf shoes. Uh, I've I've worn them along a lot of my life, and I've always known that I'm going to have very comfortable feet, and that's really important in golf because you walk like, you know, tons of tons of miles when you play golf. I I'll never forget. Um, how much different my feet would feel if I wore Echo golf shoes when I was doing like 36 whole days, like USAM qualifying versus if I wore another pair, uh, they were the shoes that I knew I could count on, uh, to be comfortable and dry. I'll be trudging around Pebble beach this week, probably in some echoes in the morning when, when there's a little dew on the ground. Uh, so I will be wearing them out there. And right now, they actually have a 30% off sale for women's shoes. So if uh, if you're a woman, oh, woman looking for some new shoes, you could go mosey over there, 30% off. If you're, you know, if you're a man and your wife might need some new shoes, 30% off. Use the address us.echo.com slash TFE. Uh, these are the most comfortable golf shoes out there. So that's us.echoecco.com slash TFE. Uh, thanks to Echo for being a, uh, a partner. Now back to Joseph Lavania. Let's talk about the PGA Tour. I want to catch up. We're like almost, it's kind of wild, like, we're basically done with the PGA Tour calendar. Um, we've got a bunch of poo-poo events here uh, before the playoffs. We got the Genesis, Genesis Scottish, which will be the last kind of big PGA Tour event. Uh, it's obviously co-sanctioned, uh, but then you have the Open Championship, and uh, and then it's playoff time. So I'd love skipping right uh, over the John Deere. Listen, the John Deere is the first golf tournament that I went to uh, as a member of the media, so I will never forget it. But um, I also, I also years ago attempted to pre-qualify for the John Deere. So you know, this is this the John Deere holds a high heart or a high place in my heart. Um, I just wanted to talk about the the season to date, and I asked you to. Bring a couple thoughts uh, from the season when you're reflecting back on everything that's happened this year. A lot's happened too. Sure. Uh, yeah. The main thing I, I pulled a couple names of, of players who have been impressive or maybe even disappointing that I'm interested in their future trajectory. As far as overall storylines, I do think, and I don't know if this is just me, but I think this year has elevated the majors into a place that it's so much about the majors versus everything else that I, I don't know if that's every golf fans experience, but it really feels that way. And it's just a bunch of other events. Maybe you get a good leaderboard on Sunday, like Ricky Fowler at rocket mortgage. Otherwise people just don't really care. And I hope that's not true because I want to see the professional golf product succeed outside of the majors. But man, it seems like it's the major championships and everything else if a player hasn't done well in a major it's almost like their season has not happened i agree with this and i think at the beginning of the year there was all this momentum with the designated elevated events uh series and i think 
that really lost steam. Those events just felt like nothing burgers once the major championships had started. And what I when I think back to what made the early season events compelling versus the late season events, I think back and I think, oh, what was what was exciting about them was them in the context of the majors. Seeing the guys together before the major championships. And it may it, it should, you know, and one of my things is, you know, I guess I can combine this. Um, I think like with the framework, the idea of a the new the new co, which is just a placeholder name. It's not going to be called new co, but the new company that's that's funded and and all of a sudden probably is going to have some private equity money in it. That and the PGA Tour, like that company has the opportunity to reshape what pro golf looks like it's not live and i also don't think it's the pga tour in its current setup it's a it's kind of a disaster to be completely honest both of them um how do you make and what's the right number how do you make these events mean something because nobody could watch the travelers which was a designated event and feel like it meant anything the week after the U.S. Open. Or the same goes to the event at Harbortown, the RBC, right after, right? So with this, this is one of my kind of big things. With this new company and the ability to really start to reshape what what pro golf is, what is that? Is it, to me, it can't be the tour is visiting Hilton Head. The best players in the world are all going to Hilton Head and Cromwell, Connecticut. No offense to these towns. And like it needs to be the best players in the world are going to London and Buenos Aires and Chicago or New York, not Jeddah, Tokyo. Like it needs to be this spectacle. And maybe they don't go to the same places every year but they are going to the biggest markets in the world and it needs to be a global tour. That is what F1 does so well. I think is that, you know, listen, like they're coming to Miami or Austin and that is the biggest thing going on in the town. Right. And I thought like LA was a really interesting U S open because LA is a town where, you know, you can host, there are lots of big things happening at all times there. And it was like the town didn't even know that this was coming. The golf was coming, right? And then it happened and started happening and, and the town started to realize what was going on, right? But like most cities, when the US Open comes to town, it is a big deal, like it was at Boston. And I think that's the way that the golf has to go is that you have these stars, they play 12 events, but they, when they go to these events, they are really big deals in big cities and, accor- and planned accordingly. And they cannot be near major championships. They can't be near them. Because if you put them near them, they will have no meaning whatsoever. Yeah, two, two things, immediate reactions to how you do this. Um, I mean, I agree with you. One thing is the same thing I always say, which is, just like you're saying that what's exciting about PGA Tour events this year has been viewing them within the context of majors. The thing that's missing from PGA Tour golf is viewing events within the context of the larger season. No one follows the points or anything like that. 
It has to be, if it's 14 events, great. And those are the only events that get points. And you're always tracking who's in the lead and who can make the playoffs or who can make the finals. Like that has to happen. So that's the one thing. Always say that. The second thing, I think the season has to have a flow to it. I've been thinking about this a lot. The beginning of the PGA Tour season works incredibly well because we were just in the winter and there wasn't a lot of golf. And you come out, it's Hawaii. Mm -hmm. It's a cool scenery. It's warm. It's fun. And then you get Torrey Pines. You get waste management. Like There's this enthusiasm from the cold winter. You hit these warm weather cities. It works. And then you kind of have sawgrass, major championship season. And then it just falls off. And it's like, why are we in Minnesota? in July and then like Sedge field that there needs to be character to the season. And you need to know like, Oh, we're about to do the Asia swing or we're about to do the Europe swing. Like it has to flow that way. And I think what's so special about how other sports have done this. And I know Andy, you watch a lot of other sports too, but like the NFL, there's such a flow and a character to the season that you get preseason. Then you've got, the first few weeks, you're kind of figuring out who's good. Then you get Thanksgiving and the weather's starting to turn. You get these cold games in December where it's snowy, and then you get the playoffs. It, it follows a perfect flow that is so engaging, and I'm almost getting goosebumps like thinking about Thanksgiving. That day is so fun. The professional golf doesn't have that. It doesn't they build have momentum no, that they, way. They have it. It's the Masters. It's the first round of the Masters. It's the Masters, right? And then yeah. everything builds up and falls and off it around it. it, right? And then it loses it, right? Yes. And that, they have to solve that problem. You cannot have a schedule where people are engaged for 70% of it. And then there's this weird Midwest, like Minnesota, into Sedgefield, into Memphis. It doesn't work. It, it, we need to solve that. I, I think the, the thing that it has to do is, you know, everybody, all the golfers want January to August and be done. But it's just not feasible to have the cadence that you would want in that short of time. Unless you cut the amount of events to like eight. Yes, cut the playoffs. Yeah. If you cut the playoffs, it'd be okay, right? But like, if you want to do the playoffs, it's got to go through October. I just don't think we need the playoffs. I think we just have a, a match play tour championship and you stop it there. And that's and then that's how you do it. So, that's January so this to is, August. This is the the fascinating aspect of the whole the new company is what do they do? It's this is not a next year. This is not a probably a year after that. It is a what does the tour schedule look like in five years? What is what does this look like? Where do we want to go when the FedEx Cup or FedEx deal is up, or we can get out of the FedEx Cup uh, deal, right? is what they need to kind of, I think, decide. Because this ain't it. And if you go raise, if you want to go raise money and do something new and innovative, this is absolutely the time to do it. They're probably going to have $2 billion, roughly, from the Saudi Saudi government that's going to be in this, right? They can then go raise more money from private equity if they want. They have unbelievable about to have flexibility that they should have had 20 years ago when they should have gotten rid of this nonprofit and converted the business, you know, and we wouldn't have gotten to where we got. But they are about to have the ability to do this. They need a a leader that 
has some sort of vision. I don't think that it currently exists in the PGA Tour, and that's fine because the PGA Tour can operate as the PGA Tour. The The commissioner of the PGA Tour and the role of this person that runs the new company are completely different, right? Those are different jobs. But this person and an organ, this organization really needs to have a big picture because what professional golf is right now isn't isn't immense professional golf isn't what it needs to be in the next 10 years yeah it's just not exciting it, it really isn't so that, that, that they have to change that right i want not coming at from a cynical place because i don't want it to see it do well i want the bj tour to be successful or whatever this entity is but they got to change it Now for a quick word from our sponsor, AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports my whole body health. I drink this literally every day. Um, Recently, you know, one of the things, recently I was over at a friend's house. I was visiting uh, when I was in Connecticut. Uh, I visited a friend, some high school friends, and uh, she drank AG1 every day. And uh, she let me in on a little secret mix your ag1 with coconut water it's delicious i couldn't believe how good it it tasted um the big thing the one of the big reasons that i got into ag1 was uh i needed to be a little bit healthier in my life i i have been traveling a ton it's one of the aspects of my job and it makes it hard to stay healthy um one of the things with with ag1 i take it first thing in the morning and I feel like I just get off to a great start. It really I've noticed a difference uh my gut health is is quite good this year, I feel like. I'm digesting things well, but I I started this because I wanted to be more healthy in 2023 and it's really helped. It's uh it's inc- I feel like I've got more energy and I'm just, you know, on a daily basis more mindful of what I'm putting in my body and it all starts with with AG1 right off the bat in the morning. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs. Those are key when you're traveling with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash thefriedegg. That's drinkag1, the number, dot com slash thefriedegg uh, and sign up there. Thanks, and now back to Joseph Lamania. Uh, what else you got? Um, I I just made notes of a couple players that I thought would be interesting to talk about. Um, I think your prompt was underrated players, and I'm not sure if I didn't. I don't think I said underrated, did I? Well, I don't know, something like that. But I, the first player that I have notes on that I think is not necessarily flying under the radar, but he's having a tremendous season. It's good to see him back. Tommy Fleetwood. Um, Tommy Fleetwood was an incredibly promising player like five, six years ago, especially 2018 into the Ryder Cup, dominant performance in the Ryder Cup in Paris. He's pretty much back. A lot of consistent results so far from him this year. I think we do tend to overrate winning just a little bit. And if he had won once this year, I think people would be talking about him as, you know, being one of the top 10 to 12 players of the year, 
this season, but he just doesn't get a lot of mention. And especially why I wanted to bring him up. A lot of the discourse entering this Ryder Cup has been how deep America, the American team is. And I got to be honest, I think Europe is flying under the radar more than it should be. I think Europe is very live to win this Ryder Cup. And some of the prices I've seen, like on, on Vegas, in Vegas and on some sports books, I'd be giving Europe a much better chance than the consensus seems to be. And it's players like Tommy Fleetwood who could really carry the mantle for them. So uh wanted to bring him up. What, what's your reaction to some pro Fleetwood talk? I mean, I think he's he's a great player when if you don't have any virtues of winning, like if if you're picking, say you were making a pick for a guy and it was like, I need a guy that finishes top 10. He's a great pick for that. And he and he's done it. But like when it comes to the like, I never watch tournaments and feel like he's going to win, which is, you know, that's fine. There's a lot of great players that, you know, if you just are a top 10 machine, it is what it is. His what you said and what you brought up, I think it's like similar to like, how much did the Ricky discourse change after he got it done at right. Detroit? You know, if if Tommy Fleetwood wins at at Canada, which was like not a strong field. I mean, he got beat by Nick Taylor in the playoff. But if he wins that, if he makes a birdie on the last hole, he all of a sudden, the discourse changes. And that's what winning does. Winning is like the thing that gets you to talk about it. And this is, again, this goes back to, I mean, I don't, I don't want to harp on this, but this goes back to one of the problems with the PGA Tour, right? Is there's so many events, you don't talk about anything that happened other than who won, right? But you don't talk about, oh, you know, if there were if there are 10 events and there were only 10 winners, you know, then all of a sudden you might be like, hey, you know, Tommy Fleetwood went T5 at the Wells Fargo, second at the RBC Canada and fifth at the US Open. What great golf is Tommy Fleetwood playing? But that doesn't get covered because it's just on to next week. Like we're just getting over Ricky's win in the 4th of July. And here we are starting a tournament, right? And Moline. Sure, sure. I guess broader point, I think Europe has a really good chance of winning this Ryder Cup and Tommy Fleetwood is going to could be a crucial piece of why he's hitting the ball straight off the tee and I know the European side is smart enough to know they're going to set this up to be as much of an accuracy test as possible. And I think with guys like Rom, Hovland, Fitzpatrick, Fleetwood, Hatton, I mean Lowry. Rory can hit less than Rory can hit less than driver off of a lot of the tees. If, if he needs to, to, to prioritize finding the fairway. Like they, they've got a real chance. And I, I haven't heard a lot of the discussion. Maybe I'm not listening to enough mainstream podcasts to know this, but it doesn't seem like the talk is super pro Europe because they're not that deep. They, they have a real chance at winning the, the Ryder Cup. I think the biggest thing for Europe, when I talked to Shane last week about the Ryder Cup in detail, but one of the things that popped for me about Europe this year when I was thinking them as a whole and I didn't bring this up on the pod, is just how well uh, Fleetwood's been, but also Terrell Hatton. Like, Terrell Hatton has been really good this year. Really and, good. Yeah, and I think those are the two developments of, like, and then the ascension of, of Victor Hovland really into a different class of player than we, we've known. Like, he was always a very, very good player, but he's on, you know, borderline superstar level player at this point, right? So, like, the ascension of Hovland the better play of Hatton than in recent years and Fleetwood than in recent years. It's just a matter of filling out the roster. Can they 
can they fill out the bottom with the right guys? And who are those right guys? That's the hard thing, I think, for them is like, you know, the European tour is just a shell of what it should be. Has has Aberg, Aberg hasn't really like flashed and shown us anything that would be worthy of a pick. I don't think you can pick a guy that's on the Corn Ferry tour. I know people are saying I, I would love that. He's an Illini. I don't think you could pick him. So then who is it that is filling out the roster? Because I don't get excited by Yannick Paul. I get excited. I do get excited by Marunk. Marunk makes tons of tons of birdies. You know, like that's a guy that actually does excite me for their team. So I have three players uh, noted to talk about. And this one would be, I, I don't think he should make the Ryder Cup team. But if he has a really hot next couple of months, one player I thought was going to have a really good 2023 who just hasn't done it. And uh, you might you might know more about his game than I do, but I thought Thomas Dietrich was going to be yeah. a really strong player in 2023. He just he hasn't done it, but he's he's kind of like showing a lot of the signs of a player who can compete at the highest level that just hasn't pieced it together. He's long off the tee, hits it relatively straight. He's a good putter. Like his results just don't line up with his talent and. I'm almost waiting for a Thomas Dietrich breakout at some point. He finished 10th at the Scottish Open last year. If he has a good run here over the next six to eight weeks, you might look at him. I think everybody, every every Illini golf fan's been waiting for the Thomas Dietrich breakout. And like he he contends, he like gets himself in the mix a lot, but he doesn't win. I think the thing about Thomas Dietrich, especially at the pro level, is that one round seemingly always holds him back. And that's the the tough thing about, like, I think what makes pro golf so, so hard is you can't have the 73. And a lot of time, Dietrich's rounds come on the weekend and he's in the hunt. And then it's like he doesn't make a birdie all all Sunday, you know. And I think he's an interesting pick because he does have consistency. He does have like picking Ryder cup players, I think is not just as simple. This guy played better the last 10 weeks than this guy. You have to look at tools, right? And is Thomas Dietrich, a guy that could go out there and compete with the best players in the world. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing that I would look at. And it would be the, the case for Thomas Dietrich. If he, he has to play better golf in the intervening weeks. Undoubtedly. Right. But he did just, he qualified for the open championship. He went out through final Q, got in. Like, let's if he pieces if he pieces together a good next couple of months, I think he warrants being in the conversation. Um I have one other name if, if you right, wanted to go for it. This is not a Ryder Cup name, but I just think in general with golf, it's always interesting to see like which names you can even see it in the betting markets. Like some people just get more popular than others despite having the same results as somebody else that doesn't get talked about and a player who has been having a solid 2023 that really never gets talked about is Taylor Moore. And he, he has been so consistent this year, never gets brought up, but he's long off the tee hits the driver straight. And he is a very, very good putter. He's got a win at the Valspar. He started the year really hot three top 15s and, uh, Torrey Pines, Pebble, and Waste Management back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. A win at Valspar. 
finished fourth at the Rocket Mortgage last week on a hot putting week. Like I think Taylor Moore is somebody that warrants conversation as maybe a little bit of a late bloomer. He's 30 or almost 30, but he like had an incredible 2021 season on the Corn Ferry Tour. Did not have a good 2022 on the PGA Tour. Kind of got his act together and he's been playing really well in 2023. Like I, I think he's somebody to pay attention to. I I I will say last year he was stinky sneaky good at the end of the year he almost he almost won rocket mortgage and Wyndham um like he started to piece it together and I think that's like something about pro golf it's just not like easy to get your footing on the PGA tour the the system this will you know probably shock people but the system is geared towards like 20 year veterans have all the advantages on the PGA tour you know, if you're a new player, you're playing new courses, you're you're having to like you're not getting into all the events you want to get into. You don't get to set your schedule, all these things like Taylor Moore really settled in late last year. And he's been he's been phenomenal. I think one of the things is like, obviously, he had some uh, on the course or off the course issues. Yeah. And, and and I think that that's the thing, like with with, you know, you got one hundred and twenty five guys to cover as in, in pro golf and it's like well maybe maybe we won't shine a light there because we, like you know we don't so i think that's probably one of the reasons is that you know people just you know frankly decide to, i i don't want to have to talk about this and and move on so um you know i think in, and then obviously <laughs> they did that interview when he won and he i don't think he said i think he got one question which like you know it's uh it's an interesting but yeah he's had a great year um he's obviously like you know when you think about i guess like to your Ryder cup point it's funny that like we don't talk about the fedex cup playoffs we talk about the Ryder cup um at this point in the year but anyways to your Ryder cup point i think the other big hope for the european team is how bad the some of the players that are locks on the pga uh on the american team are Justin Thomas has been really bad this year. Um, Cam Young seemingly was a Ryder Cup lock um, at the beginning of the year. Has not been good. Zalatoris is hurt. Zalatoris is hurt, yeah. Morikawa up until last... Like, Morikawa's been okay. Not, like, great. Not not terrible. But, like, you know, you start to look at, like, the form of the Americans, and it's just not the same, right? And I'm telling you, it makes a big difference. Europe's going to set that course up in a way that's advantageous for them, especially off the tee. I hope they do some things besides that. But Team USA is not as they have they do that a little bit, but they're not quite as as analytically driven as Team Europe is, and it makes a difference. So I, I think there's it's getting close to a coin flip, and it's not priced that way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, one name I had here uh, is Sky Scheffler. <laughs> Who's I think that? this is I think this is insane. We're in a year where where John Romps won five times and which includes a major. He had like one of the best years. If he adds like another win, it's one of the best years in recent memory. And yet there's a clear cut number one who's another guy. And that's wild to me. I, you know, Kyle Porter looked this up. He's only lost to 66 players this year. Um, that's insane. 
it's it's the the consistency is tiger level stuff in terms of consistency. So these are the finishes over the course of the year. T7, T11, first, T11, T4, first, four, fourth, T10th, 11th, 5th, 2nd, 3rd, 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 T4. It's insane. I like can he win player of the year over Rom? Like can if you were voting for player of the year right now, would it be Scheffler or Rom? <laughs> That's hard because it depends on what you value, but to be honest, I think Scotty Scheffler's season is the most impressive season I've seen in like the last 10 years. And and I don't, maybe that's recency bias, but I genuinely do. And when you look at it, whatever, strokes gained has its its upsides and downsides. But when you look at things from a strokes gained perspective and see how historic his season has been, a lot of the people he gets compared to are like early 2000s Tiger. And strokes gained is also a component of field strength. Scotty Scheffler's playing against much stronger fields than the golfers that were around in in the 2000s, oh, the man. early 2000s. You're so, just you're 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 bashing Tommy Tolls. I mean, what are not bashing anybody? But I think this has been one Ed of the Fiori. most impressive. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, this is the old Bob Cousy argument. But I think this has been one of the most <laughs> impressive golf seasons I've ever seen. And I just anytime Scotty Scheffler shows up, I think if you were to take him head to head against anybody else. You'd, you'd be printing money. Yeah. I, uh, I, and so I think he has to be, it feels weird, but I think he has to be the player of the year at this point. It'd be really nice if he won, if he won the open championship, then he'd leave a lot less room for doubt. But uh, maybe, maybe that two shot lead at the, at the tour championship could help him too. <laughs> well, we know whoever wins that will be the player of the year. So <laughs> the fifth major. I mean, Rory, Rory might win the tour championship and then he's the player of the year, right? Could, could go that way. Um, but yeah, so I, I think Scotty is just, uh, on a different level. And then the other, other story, you know, you went underrated stories. I went very mainstream stories. The Ricky resurgence has been incredible. Um, just on the year, I think he's, he's six in strokes gained total for the calendar year. Um, if you look at data golf, he's inside the top 10 in the world rankings, their, their world rankings, obviously he's up to like 23rd in the actual world rankings. Like I, I kind of laughed. I thought it was humorous, uh, in the off season, there was a, there was a story of Ricky reworking his swing in two weeks, but really he did it. Um, I think it's, it's been just unbelievable what he's done. It's great to have him back in the game. Uh, at playing at a high level because it just adds another big time attraction. Like guys, like the value of golf is that guys can play into their forties, whether or not that happens in future years. I don't know, but Ricky Fowler's a example of what the PGA tour does well, which is build stars that are relevant for long periods of time. And Ricky being back on top of his game is really, really good for the PGA Tour because he, there are there's 14 years of built-in marketing that has gone into this stardom, right? And I think like it's really good for the game of golf when players like Ricky, Spieth, Rory, you know, play well because they have built up this legacy, you know. Blocky. And, but and what's also how about how about the UK fans? Yeah, they were all over blocking. I know. I was thinking this. It was shades of Zacchaeus from the Bible, like having to go up holes ahead oh, and God. climb in a tree just to see him. Uh, 
also other thing on Ricky that I think is fascinating. Good for good for Blocky going out and trying. Yeah. Hey, finished what nine shots off to a putt? Oh, 12, I think. A putt here, a putt there, and, and he's in. But on the Ricky thing, I think a player he parallels so closely, and this is why I love golf, Jason Day, right? Who tra- is tracking very closely to Ricky, like had an amazing start to his career, fell off, got it back, won. And now Jason Day's kind of lost it the last like month and a half. And it's, it comes and goes so quickly that now that Ricky has won, I'm sure a lot of people are like, wow, Ricky's back and he's going to be around for the next two years. We don't know. And that's the beautiful thing about watching golf. I'm excited. I'm happy to see Ricky back. But like, what's going on with Jason Day? Is the same thing going to happen to Ricky? It's it's such a mental game. All right, Joseph. Uh, it was a joy chatting with you. How are you feeling uh, about your quarterback in Indianapolis? Is he going to play? Is he going to be the starter? I believe Anthony Richardson will be the starter this year. I think we may have a tough year, but I'm extremely bullish. Very proud of the Colts for drafting the right player who should have been taken number one overall. And I believe the Colts will be Super Bowl contenders. Let's go two I, and a half to, to three years from now. I, I will have to say, I hope that they follow the Chicago blueprint. Last year, you know, it was the utter joy to, to, to have the worst record in the NFL, but the manner in which we did it was just, we were in every game. We lost. It was like, oh, this is great. Like, it was a close game. If if a ball bounces one way, we might have won. But we lost all these games. And then we got all this capital for the first pick. We might, we might you know, we might have the first pick next year if the Panthers tank. Hey, we're in kind of similar spots. Young athletic quarterback. Anthony Richardson's a little more athletic and more promising than Fields. But oh, I come love on. Justin Fields. So. No, I like Fields. I like Fields. <laughs> we, we have any, you know. Hey, uh, see you in the Super Bowl. Yeah, in a couple years, maybe three years. Yeah. All right, thanks, Joseph. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday Podcast, and thank you to Matt Ruchis for uh, editing another one of these. Thank you, Matt. Uh, as a quick reminder, we've got tons of uh, video content uh, on Pebble Beach that's going up. Uh, we've got a bunch of vignettes and videos on YouTube. I would check those out. If, you, if you're not already subscribed to our YouTube page, we've put a ton of videos up there this year. So uh, visit our YouTube page and check out all those vignettes, those videos. You should find some really interesting things. One that I would recommend, uh, Garrett did one on, on the... 1929 uh, renovation of Pebble Beach that was done by Egan and Robert Hunter, Chandler Egan and Robert Hunter. Fascinating. I I learned a thing or two from it. So check those out. We've got about six of them up on the uh, YouTube page. And uh, thank you. Enjoy the Women's Open this week, and we'll talk next week. (laughs) 